Awesome. Well, we're excited that you're visiting with us online. Maybe you've um, just tuning in from the first time, and uh, we're excited that you're here with us watching us on the service. Uh, let us be reminded of the video that you just saw about um, we are doing an Annie Armstrong Easter offering push, and I know it's different. I know it's difficult times, and we've got to lean in and trust the Lord because we have been incredibly blessed. Um, but um, our goal for that is $8,000, so I think uh, let's continue to strive towards that. It goes 100% to the North American Mission Board missionaries on the field, and uh, we want to make sure you do that. Well, if you're tuning in with us, uh, my name is Andrew. I am the pastor of worship and discipleship here at Iron City Baptist Church, and uh, excited to bring to you God's Word today. And if you have been with us, if you can remember uh, pre-pandemic, which seems like two years ago or longer, um, even though it's just a few weeks. But uh, we started a series a few weeks back called The Big Story. And we essentially are preaching through the entire Bible, uh, the big, hitting the kind of the big notes, the big stories. Think like children's Bible, like all those stories that you would hear growing, growing up. Um, and uh, this comes with much difficulties uh, for us as preaching this because we're used, and probably for you listening, because we are used to sitting in one book of the Bible for few months, maybe even a few years, and that's um, essentially we're preaching expositionally through the whole Bible, and, um, and so it's, it's a little difficult for us, um, but it's really a, a challenge to me to dig deeper and to really see the, how the stories of the Bible really point to the story, and that is God's redemptive plan for us through Jesus. Uh, and we started several weeks ago with the big story, the main character of the big story. Uh, we talked about, we covered creation, we covered the fall, we, and most recently, a couple of weeks ago, we covered Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, and we saw our tendencies, just like the Babylonians, is to self-promote and build our own castles, our own sandcastles, and to make our names great. Um, and it's going to be a little bit different today, so we're going to take a passage of Scripture, I'm going to read through it, and then I'm going to kind of unpack that as best we can, and then we will t- kind of fast forward, give a, uh, a brief uh, overall of the, a couple of passages, and then we will hit another section of Scripture talk about it. So it's kind of like two sermons in one, so it's your lucky day. Um, so anyway, we're going to get to Genesis chapter 12, if you can go ahead and flip there with me, and we're going to be there for just a few minutes, Genesis chapter 12. Verses 1 through 9. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 9. So we are introduced uh, at the end of chapter 11 to Abram, son of Terah. Terah has taken Abram, his grandson Lot, his daughter-in-law, which is Abram's wife, and they've set out to go to the land of Canaan. Um, But when they come to Haran, they stop there, and it was there that Abram's father Terah passed at the ripe young age of 205. So we begin reading in Genesis, that catches us up to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. So the Lord will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in him in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old and when he departed from Haran, and, and Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. 
At that time, the Canaanites were in the, line, in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Verse 8. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going to the Negev. So in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, this really holds a unique place in the covenant of grace as you, as you think of it as far as the, the redemption through all of history goes. Everything kind of is kind of before Genesis 12, 1 through 3 is leading up to this point. Everything after is kind of pointing back and being fulfilled by the scriptures. And so we're at this really unique, incredible crossroads. Uh, a, covenant of, a, a covenant of grace here is being shown to Abram where it's going to be about to unfold. So let's look at verse number 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So what's neat here is we see kind of a fresh start. We kind of, we kind of see a reset in Genesis. Uh, the, three times in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we see the judgment of God came down, right? We see the, the banishment in the garden. We see the, the earth destroyed by the flood. And, and we see dispersion by the dividing of the languages. So while, yes, there has been blessing here, we've seen uh, it was mostly, if you looked at it from a big picture, a lot of judgment. And um, God is about to interrupt everything and bridge the gap between himself and man. And this begins the, pic- the big picture of redemption. So first off, we see the call is to go. God is saying, Abram, look, I, I know you've been journeying. Look, I, I know you're not exactly a young fellow anymore. I, I get it. Your dad just passed. You just set up the camp. And I know you're probably not really sure where Canaan is. It's not like he could actually go into his GPS and, and to, you know, from Ur to Canaan, how to get there, how many miles it's going to take via donkey or via foot, whatever that looks like in his case. Um, and so he says, but Abram, go from your country, and not just your country, but your kindred, your family, all your people, essentially everything that you're familiar with, leave it. And he's calling Abram to separate himself and drop everything. Man, there's, there's another place in Scripture where God calls out some fishermen to drop everything, right? And it says, follow me. We have the same calling on our lives. Drop it all. Leave our nets behind. God says to Abram, follow me and and I will show you. Follow me to the land and I will show you. So we see the commandment of God to Abram to go. And then we see verse 2, which is really cool, that that God adds his promise to it. So we see the first, we see the commandment, and then we see the promise. Verse 2 says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Mark Strom says this, Abraham would receive the very things of which the people at Babel had grasped. He would have a great name. He would father a great nation. He would become a source of blessing throughout all the earth. In other words, the, the Lord would maintain his purposes for creation and humanity through Abraham and all those who followed him. What I really find interesting is in the latter part of verse 2 when he says you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing. Isn't that interesting? 
first Abram is supposed to separate, to leave all this stuff, to be, but then he's supposed to be a blessing. So he's supposed to go, to separate from everything he knows, drop everything he has, but he's also supposed to be a blessing. Guys, we're there now. We are to separate from the world, but, but not forget about the world. We're to separate from the world, but not forget about the world. I had a youth pastor uh, tell me one of the few things that I actually remember about youth ministry. I'm sorry, John. We just, it's just part of life, man. We just don't listen as teenagers. Uh, but, but one of the things I really caught, and, and uh, I don't know if it makes any sense or not, but I like the way it sounds, so we're going to say it. But he says, I had a youth pastor tell me this. He said, he said, separation from the world is not isolation, but it's contact without contamination. And I'm pretty sure he stole that from somebody, but I really liked it. So. But man, especially in times like this, we, we are literally separated right now. If you could see our the people that are in here, there's at least six, well, you guys are sitting a little close. So, but, but that's probably five feet, but we get there. But if you're at home, I mean, you're physically separated from us. We can't be together right now. But man, now is our chance. Now is our chance to be a blessing. But, you know, be, pick up the phone and, call, and check on your neighbor. Man, text your connection group. Text your community group. Call somebody. Get in touch with that elderly, elderly person that, you know, lives down the street that you haven't seen out in a couple of weeks because they're probably afraid to go outside. They're probably afraid that to go to the grocery store, check on them. And as Abram was called to separate, to leave everything behind, to go and be a blessing, the same message is to us. We should separate. We should look different from the world. We should act different from the world. We should be different from the world. And it's not to, to look, to try to put us up here and try to be better than the world. No, no, it's, it's, it's all that so we can be a blessing to the world. So here's the thing, guys. We, we, we can't have God's agenda if we have the world's agenda. And so, and so the question is, what is God's agenda? It's to be a blessing to the world. Well, how do we be a blessing to the world? By sharing the good news with them. We're a blessing to the world by sharing the good news with them. And as Christians, we find this extremely difficult. Either we separate so far off that we don't know really where to park our spaceships. We're kind of this off this whole other world trying to uh, connect with only with the people that, that we know that, that, will, that they're trying to, our only little holy huddle, that we wouldn't know how to have a normal conversation with anybody on the planet that doesn't look like us or talk like us or think like us. Or we go the exact other end of the spectrum. We try to be so culturally relevant. We try to do things and be edgy and be cute and try to get and do things and, that really push the envelope but the problem is we have a really hard time balancing being in the world but not of the world, don't we? We have a hard time. There's a line there, and it's kind of gray. But we must keep God's agenda first and foremost. So then we see in verse 3 a very popular verse in the, in the Scriptures. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. It says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here in verses 1 through C, we begin to see the Abrahamic covenant begin to unfold, begin to see the layers, begin to peel back of the grace covenant there and, and, and the grace covenant, the big picture to unfold here with Abram. The covenant is announced. The ceremony will come in just a couple of chapters. We'll get there in a minute. 
But I think it's important to point out this, that Abram at this point is mid-70s, maybe even a little older, no children, a barren wife, and not, a, not, not that they just haven't had kids yet, like she can't have a, a child, and he's well past the age of should be able to being reproductive, okay? Like we, we see this in the scripture. We know they're further on in, in life, and that's just not possible. So they're still living in the father's household, not particularly a special breed. He's son of a polytheist. We know that Abram Abraham himself was a pagan. Um, not really anything special. Yet God chose him to bring forth a blessing to all the families of the earth? Are you kidding me? Like, isn't that just like God to do something like that? That God will take the most unlikely character and do something incredible with. Think about this. Abram, Moses had, had some issues with talking in public, much like me. Joseph, you got David who brought a rock to a sword fight. You have John the Baptist. You had the Virgin Mary, a teenage girl. The disciples, all just some good old boys, probably from Heflin and Rabbit Town. We had Paul, someone who was persecuting Christians. Fast forward a couple thousand years. You have yourself, me. God will take what we see in verse 4 over the most impressive resume. In verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Let's stop right there. So Abram went as the Lord has told him. If we could just... If we could just implement that into our lives on a daily basis. The Lord says do something, we do it. How about that? That's a great concept, right? It's that simple. The Lord said go and Abram went. The picture of faithfulness and obedience begins to show us the character of Abram. Now, he didn't know where he was going. I'm sure he had a lot of questions in his mind. Especially as a 75, 80-year-old man. But notice that he didn't hesitate. He just went. And so I'd ask you guys today, what is the Lord telling you to do? Where is he telling you to go? Right now, nowhere. Quarantined. But, but what is the Lord asking you to do? Where is he telling you to go in the bigger picture? To whom is he telling you to be a blessing to? You know, just because we're in the middle of a pandemic does not give us the freedom to, to put on pause the things of God. If anything, we should, we should cling closer to those things, to seek him more, to trust him more. And God has a plan. Man, you're in it. What are you going to do about it? Choose faithfulness. So we see Abram left and took his crew, uh, all this stuff, and, and being obedient unto the Lord, headed for Canaan. We're going to skip down to verse 7. Verse 7 says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared for him, appeared to him. And so he journeys on and he's faithful to do what the Lord has commanded him to do. And the Lord says, Here you go. This is the land that your offspring will receive. Again, he, he takes what the Lord has told him and he builds an altar just as Noah had done after the flood. The building of the altar here is, is connected with hope and God's blessings on the earth. And this altar is specifically unique because it's right smack dab in the middle of Canaan. And this would be the place where Joshua would bring the Israelites to worship after they've been released from Egypt to claim the land that had been promised to Abram. It's a very, very specific altar here. And then we see in verse 8 that Abram moved up to the hill country a bit, pitched his tent, and built 
an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord. In other words, he worshiped God. And for the sake of time, we're going to kind of go through 13, 14, and we're going to land in 15 in just a moment. But what I want us to see here is when the latter part of chapter 12, there's a famine that has come to the land, and um, Abram takes Sarai's wife, and they head to Egypt. Egypt is a, is a, uh, a very good place to be with a lot, of, uh, a lot of crops, very well watered. And when they get there, Abram thinks it'd be a good idea, since we're kind of in this foreign land, that let's just tell them that you're my sister. Okay, seems like an interesting idea. Now, that wasn't a complete lie, because they were half brother and sister. Uh, but, but Sarai was a looker. She was a good-looking gal. I mean, she, even, in, I mean, even in her later 80s, 90s, I mean, she was a good-looking woman. And so sure enough, what happened, he says, well, let's do this because I don't want them to, to, you know, to, to like what they see too much, and then they come you know, take me out. But if I'm your brother, I've got a little leverage here. I've got a little bit of room to wiggle with. Like they're going to they're gonna think largely of me. Uh, and so sure enough, what happens, they get into the land, the people begin to notice Sarai, and they word gets back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh calls from, for him, and uh, he says, "Bring her to me." And see, as as the brother, you kind of have this 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 leverage, uh, and they were gonna they, were, they would spare his life because if he were the husband, they would have just killed him. If they liked what they saw, they just took it. That's what they did. But in the other, but in this case, not only did it spare his life, but it brought him wealth and possessions and. But when, what happened, we see that um, the Lord struck Pharaoh with the plagues and we see that it nearly cost Abram his marriage and nearly cost him the covenant promise of many descendants. But the, and, and the reason it didn't cost him is because the Lord was with Abram and delivered him out of the hands of Pharaoh. And then we move on, we see in Abram and Lot separate in chapter 13. In typical fashion, you have a lot of stuff and you're close to family, and you got some land, you got a lot of livestock, and you're all living close together. Sometimes it can get a bit stuffy. It just can, okay? You want to get out away from Uncle Abe, okay? So as we see here, Abram lets Lot choose his land. And of course, he chooses the best. I mean, why would you not? And even if it meant in his case that he would pick it, the land that was right in the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah, which we'll see end up doing really well for him later on in life. Uh, but again, after they separate, the Lord tells him to look at the land, all the land, this will be for his offspring forever. And he and Sarai are still, get, again, they're not getting any younger. They're still aging. We're still, we're not, we didn't pause time here. As things are progressing, they're still getting older. And still no children. But the Lord, what does he do? He shows him a sign. He says, look, if you can count the dust of the earth, and so shall your offspring be. And he tells Abram to go and arise, and he does, again, faithfulness, builds an altar again. I think this is like altar number three or four. Dude's putting out altars like nobody's business. I mean, he's popping up altars like Dollar Generals are popping up. I mean, they're everywhere. But we see here, again, faithfulness. And, and someone I was listening to this week, I thought this was interesting um, about Abram and the altar building and, and the pitching of the tent. It says that, if you'll notice, he always built an altar and then he, then he pitched his tent. He always built the altar. He didn't, in other words, he, he, was, he was always ready and he, he would build the house of God, a place to worship before he ever thought about himself. He was always ready to go. He had his tent there. He pitched, he built the altar and then he pitched his tent. 
That's intentional there. And we, and we, so we see that's kind of a, a cool thing. Um, but he was ready to go. He was kind of a nomad, so it worked well for him. We see in chapter 14 where Abram has to rescue Lot. And so Uncle Abram comes to the rescue, and aren't we all thankful? I don't know if about you guys, but I know I'm grateful for having uncles that rescued me and that had pulled me out of the mud, literally, uh, growing up. And I'm, you know who you are. Thank you if you're watching this. Uh, but, man, I, uncles are, are great for that um, and not telling parents things. And so, anyways, but Lot got in the middle of some junk here, okay? He, he, he gets in the situation where Lot has already moved into Sodom. Like, he's not just outside. Now he's in the middle. And Sodom gets overtaken. Lot gets taken as well. Word gets back to Abram that, that, that all this has happened. And he puts together, like, this serious task force. I mean, he puts together some bad dudes. And they come out and they drive these, these kings back. And they take Lot. They take the possessions. They take the women to take the people, take everything back, okay? Abram just balls out here and just pushes everybody back. And we see that next, that the king of Sodom went out to meet Abram and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, who was kind of a priest king, kind of a weird, different situation. That's an, a whole, there's so much to in here, like I can't get into today. It's very frustrating. But anyway, he came out and blessed Abram, and the king of Sodom offered gifts to Abram, but Abram refuses. We see that in chapter 4. He refuses. Why does he refuse? I mean, you do something good, somebody wants to reward you, most of the time you're going to accept that. I mean, if I do a good deed and somebody wants to offer me $100, I'm probably going to take it. Like, just being honest. But Abram doesn't. Abram pushes back and says, and why he does that is because he's, he's resisting what the world has to offer to him and he's trusting what the Lord has to offer him. He doesn't have anything to do with that. He says, look, I don't trust in you. I trust in the Lord. And like Abram, we, we must resist the world and cling to the promises of God. And we've got to resist the world and cling to the promises of God. Thus bringing us to chapter 15, a.k.a. sermon number 2. Read Genesis 15 together with me, if you can flip over to that. We're going to read the whole thing. So all 21 verses. Chapter 15, God's covenant with Abram. It says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he, he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you, out of the, uh, brought you from Ur to the, of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these and cut them in half and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Verse 12. As the sun was going down and a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, 
and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they, come, and they shall come back here in fourth generation, for the, iniquity, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt and the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. All right. So we see that Abram, at the end through 13 to 14, chapters 13 to 14, had some ups and downs, but... He comes into 15 on kind of a high moment. I mean, he's just, he's just won a, a pretty impressive battle and refuses the, the reward from the evil king of Sodom. And God notices and says what? He says, do not be afraid. He says, I am your shield. And that whole reward thing? Yeah, I am your reward. Do we not all need to be reminded of that today? That God is our shield and God is our reward. And what better time to cling to a promise like that, that he is our shield and our reward. But we see Abram, Abram struggles a bit here in, in 15. We, we see that, that God has promised and has been promising for some time. Abram, again, is not getting any younger. Time is still ticking. Biological clocks are pretty much done at this point. And he hasn't seen it. He, and and, and he, says, he says, what would you give me? He says, I don't have any children. I mean, this is a man who's been walking with the Lord now for a while. Sure, he's had ups and downs, but he's wealthy. He's extremely successful. He's won battles. He has an amazing wife, land, but no son. He's dealing with a difficult, difficult tension here. And I believe that we deal with the same thing of, of trying to believe God and trusting God. But he's questioning and begins to beginning questioning God because he has no son. And without a son, he has no heir. And without an heir, none of this makes sense. All he has is a servant. He brings that to the Lord's attention as if he didn't know. My servant will have everything if I die. I don't have a son, God. God speaks pretty clearly here. He says, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son. How many times have I got to tell you this, Abram? Your very own son shall be your heir. And then he does something. I really love the wording here. He says, then he brought him outside and said, go ahead, number the stars, if you can. I love the wording there. He's like, sure thing, big boy. <laughs> Give it a shot. So will your, uh, your seed be, your offspring be. And we struggle, man. We struggle with believing things that we cannot see. And so did Abram. He couldn't see that. But what happened? He trusted the Lord. He trusted that God is going to provide an heir. Now listen, because this, this is about to get good. I promise. So in, in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, if, if Genesis 12, 1 through 3 is kind of like this grand map that's, that's setting us up, man, Genesis 15, 6 is really the entryway into this plan. And it is essential that we understand this verse. Everything before has kind of led to this moment, and everything after kind of points back to this. And, and so I want us to read verse 6, and it says this. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord, and he accounted it to him as 
as righteousness. And for the first time in the scriptures, faith and justification are combined. We see faith and justification combined here. Abram, Abram examined everything, the facts, and he realized real quick that this made zero sense. Then he said, there's no way that this can happen unless God is to do something. He knows, he says, he says, he says God has been incredibly good to me. He's been faithful to me. I don't understand it, but I trust him. I trust in the promises that he's telling me. Abram had faith in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Faith in God is credited as righteousness. And this is, this is where Paul goes to when he, when he proves the doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In Romans chapter 4, which Cody took at the beginning, it says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And here is a covenant of grace that God is using Abram, the most unlikely character in the story. Wait, there's more. So Abram says, I I get this, but how am I supposed to know? How am I supposed to know? And, And I think that's a fair question at this point. I don't think that's unfair to ask the Lord these things, especially if you're in your late 80s and God has promised you a son. That's a fair question. That's, that's, that's legitimate, okay? But Lord, how will I know I will possess it? Speaking of the land, speaking of the children. And God says, bring me these animals and cut them in half, lay them in a specific way. Abram knows enough to know that this looks like something's going on, some type of ceremonial sacrifice or a, a, something is about to happen. And we see a deep sleep come upon Abram and he tells him again, very specifically, know this, that your offspring will be sojourners and be servants and be afflicted for 400 years, but don't worry, I'll bring judgment on this nation. As for you, you'll live a good long life and your offspring will come back here. And then we see something to me that is just absolutely earth shattering. We we see a deep sleep that came on Abram. He tells him this and he says, we see that a smoking fire pot and a, a flame, a flaming torch, pass between the pieces. Why, why a smoking fire pot and a, and a flaming torch? I have no idea. <laughs> it's, it's pretty incredible. Uh, but, but on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I will give this land. Don't miss this here, man. The Lord is making his covenant. Usually when a covenant is being made, I wish we had time to get into the covenant, but usually when a covenant is being made, typically the covenant partners would walk through the, 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 the aisle or the cut up animals on both sides together, symbolizing that, that they were in this together. And if one of them messed up or one of them broke the covenant, part of the covenant, they would be cut off or be like the animals would be uh, essentially, when you, when you walk between the animals, you were submitting yourself to the fate of the slaughtered animals for penalty for breaking the covenant. But what we see here is not what we would normally see with a covenant. Abram doesn't walk between these animals. God, in the form of a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, passes between these pieces. Why is that? 
Why is that? But Genesis 15, we see the Lord God, the sovereign God, the creator of all things, the God of the universe. He walks between these pieces. Not Abram, not the servant. Not, and he does this to say to Abram, I promise you, I promise even to my own death that I will fulfill my covenant and my commitment to you. He's, he's saying, Abram, may this happen to me as we have done to these animals if I don't fulfill my part of the covenant. And do you realize how ridiculously shocking that must have been to Abram at this moment? That God would take the place of the servant just to give the assurance to his people. The incredible thing here is is that it wasn't only Abram that was getting the assurance. It wasn't only Abram that was getting this assurance. That assurance is our assurance. That assurance is our assurance. Abram's assurance is our assurance. And so if you remember, if you're familiar with Luke 22, I know you are. We, we talk about it every Easter. When Jesus was portrayed, betrayed, he said to his disciples in Luke 22, 20, this, this cup which is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Jesus is not only saying that, that this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant. He's saying, but, but this is fulfilling passages like in Jeremiah 31. And he's saying, hey, hey, a, a long time ago, way back, God the Father said to Abram, your father, that, 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 that I am promising unto death. And guess what? Jesus is saying, I am here to pay that price in full. This will be the redemption of your sins. But not only that, this will give you the assurance that there's absolutely nothing that will keep you from getting what God has promised to you. The promises have been sealed by the blood of the cross. But we, like Abram, say, how do we know that? How can we be sure, God? We look to the cross. We see Jesus who hung there. God's only son. He is slaughtered as the ultimate and final sacrifice so that we may experience the blessings of God. God uses, do you see, do you see here, We're not unhitched from the Old Testament. Everything here points forward to Jesus, points to the big story, points to grace. And God has shown us through Abram, most unlikely characters are here to reveal the main character. That's Jesus. So what this all is, what all this is about I don't want you to miss that, man. That all this in Genesis 15, man, it's pointing forward to the ultimate sacrifice, Christ on the cross, the redemption of our sins. God will use the most unlikely characters to reveal the main character, Jesus. The question today is, what are you going to do about it? You know that the Lord is telling you to be faithful. You know, you know right from we have so much in this word that we can cling to. See, that's what makes it interesting is that these people in the Old Testament, they were clinging to promises that 
they, didn't, they hadn't seen yet. They, God would promise them something and they would trust in that. And so they were accredited righteousness. We've got the whole story. And it sometimes seems harder for us. So what are you going to do about it this week, man? Let that be your challenge. Be obedient to God's word. Be faithful. Let God use you as an unlikely character to point people, to bless people, to share the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Cody Hill. I'm the lead pastor here at Iron City. Thank you so much for connecting with us online. I hope in the days ahead that we'll have an opportunity to connect with you in person. On our website, ironcity.org, you'll see a number of different opportunities that you have to connect with our church and opportunities that we're seeking to engage our community and minister to our church family. I'd like to especially invite you to come and be a part of one of our connection groups that meet at 9 o'clock immediately preceding our Sunday morning worship service. You'll find that we're not a perfect church, but we are a passionate church. We take following Jesus very seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So I hope you'll come this Sunday at 1015 and worship with us and let us get to know you a little bit better.